You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. All right, grab a Bible, open it up. Ephesians chapter 2. We are beginning a new series called The Gathering. Do you know what it's about? Based off the title? Learning from our mistakes. Good, this guy's smart. The church, it's about the church. And what I want to do is I'm going to walk through the history of the church over the next few weeks and how did we get to where we are today? Are we in a healthy spot as a church in America? And then specifically LifePoint, are we in a healthy spot? And be able to examine and say, God, is there anything you want more from us? And when I say us, I'm not really talking about the ethereal like collective. I really am talking about you the individual. And if I could just stare at each one of you face to face and have 10 seconds of uninterrupted eye contact, I would. But because of COVID, we'll have to do it six feet apart, but I will have my uninterrupted eye contact. Now, here's the deal. Nobody is exempt from this. This idea of being the church, being the body of Christ. Can we just sort of get that through our minds real quick? He says, you are my body. You will carry out the work that I began. You will be the hands and the feet, the mouth, the ears to go and to listen and to spread the gospel message. Christ is the head. We are the body. Have you ever really put thought to that? That when I become a Christian, I'm not just joining a religion. I am becoming part of the body of Christ. It's a, it's a much different facet than what you see in world religions. It's a much different understanding of what it means uh, to be a believer, right? And you'll hear often from the stage believer and non-believer, and it's not a negative term to be a non-believer. It's a descriptive term that says one is in the body of Christ, the other has chosen not to be. That's it. The, the problem, though, is the current church and the current church body's understanding of what it means to be in the body of Christ. And so this is what I want to talk about. So I want to preface with the next, this series and where we're going with there's some awesome changes coming here to LifePoint that we believe, right? We talk about revival all the time. We want to see revival. There's a revival coming. Revivals always start not with the unbeliever coming into the church, but with the body of Christ coming alive, with who is already here becoming mobile, getting active, and taking up the call seriously. That's when revivals happen. Every single time they break out when the group in the body wakes up and starts being the body. And so I'm, I am going to ask you, have an open mind here. Expect to have um, maybe some of your church definitions challenged and hopefully you'll be challenged a bit today, as I have been, as we've walked through this as pastors and uh, what God is wanting for us here at LifePoint. Um, I really want you to think of it in this term, okay? Hopefully this helps you as you go about your week. Who here enjoys kale? I mean just by itself, not in a salad or a smoothie, not the benefits of it, the taste, the texture. Who enjoys kale? Okay, look around that's unreal. I am a hundred for a hundred right now. Nobody likes it, right? Nobody actually enjoys kale. Nobody wakes up at 2 a.m., goes cookies, chips, pretzels, move out of the way. There's my kale. And we just start crunching on it, right? And you're like, oh, kale. 
it like rips my stomach apart. I can feel every leaf moving through my colon and then exploding in a terrible, terrible choice. And the point is, kale is disgusting. And yet it's this food that supposedly is good for us. If you found out today, if you went home and instead of the Super Bowl, because again, it's canceled, you found there was a special on kale. And what they were saying was that if you eat it, it gets rid of all wrinkles. It gets rid of all fat. Every cell of fat is gone. All joint pain, gone. Moles, warts, gone. All you have to do is eat kale for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you can be useful and healthy, cancer, gone. Evan, you want your hair back? Kill. Kill. <laughs> Would you change your view of kale for any of those things in your life? You would. Even those who are saying no, I know, you're trying to hold out, you would. You would, especially when you start seeing your friends looking so great, feeling great, tons of energy. You would change your outlook on what kale is, on what it does, and what it's supposed to be. Am I right? Over this series, I want you to have that same sort of open mind about what the church is, what it should be. Because I firmly believe that we have followed for a long time in this country, a pattern of church, a Christian church that is not the body of Christ. It's not godly. It's just not. And then even here at LifePoint, we've adapted to it because it's just what Americans know church to be. It's just what we know. So come along with me for this ride over the next few weeks. I believe with all my heart, and I know that we will be stronger for it, that the Santan Valley community is going to be better for it, and that if we're going to see revival happen this year in this area, it will start with us saying yes to a new understanding of church. And that's all of us, whether you've been in church for 60 years or six days, uh, all of us need to say, okay, Lord, what are you showing me? Make sense? Deal? Verbal agreement? Just a head nod? Perfect. Ephesians 2, we're going to start in verse 13. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, is all about God's relationship to the individual, okay? 1 through 10 is about God to the individual. 11 through 22 is about God to the church, to the collective. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to start in verse 13 because 11 and 12 is all about circumcision, and I don't have time to go into that, and it makes people uncomfortable if you don't explain it, so I won't talk about circumcision or say circumcision anymore. (laughs) Circumcision. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. You see, who he's talking about there is the Jew and the Gentile. And he is saying the blood of Christ has demolished this wall that has been up, not just for years, but for thousands of years, for generations. It was culturally and religiously appropriate to hate Gentiles if you were a Jew. It was culturally appropriate if you were a Gentile because you had been hated, your forefathers were killed by them to hate every single Jew you saw. I don't think today we Americans quite have an understanding of hate to the level that the Jew and the Gentile hated each other. The closest thing we could get would be if you had to live with members of ISIS, radical extremist Islam, 
uh, members who just are all bent on hell and war and death to anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. That's probably the closest. And I think even your hate for them or dislike of their what they do is not even a fraction of how much the Jew and the Gentile hated each other. You understand? You see, we read that all the time. Oh, yes, Jew and Gentile, because it doesn't mean anything to us. This was such a deep divide, such a chasm of uh, a broken relationships that it literally was a miracle, outside of Jesus rising from the dead, of course, that these two people would actually come together and worship one God. The world was shocked by it. The world couldn't believe it. Those people hate each other. How are they not just not just living next to each other, but they're actually worshiping together. They're sharing their lives together. They're crying with one another. They're laughing with one another. They're actually doing life with one another. They, they aren't just in the same building because they have to, because of the God they praise. They're actually learning to love one another. This is what the author is saying. And I, I wanted to take a minute there because honestly, until the Lord opened this up to my eyes years ago, I never read that and caught it for what it was. But you want to look at a miracle, the Jew and the Gentile sitting next to one another, praising one another. This is something that people thought never would have happened. So here we go. Verse 15. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, Jew and Gentile thus making peace, and that he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you, those who were far off, the Gentile, and peace to those who were near, the Jew. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father, And this is where we're really going to focus here today, 19 through 22. So then, because of this, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ himself is your cornerstone, the capstone, the keystone. In him, the whole structure, it is joined together, and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. So this picture that Paul is going to lay out to the church in Ephesus is one that is being delivered with a little bit of severity. If you look at Paul's salutation and his opening in Ephesians 1, it's not as friendly and kind as his other salutations to the church. You see, he invested a lot personally in the church in Ephesus. He helped establish the leadership in the church. And now it's been a few years and he's hearing that they are allowing racial tensions once again to divide them. That the former Pharisees are once again seeing themselves as greater than the lesser Gentiles who have become a part of the faith and are in their congregation, right? And he is already seeing that they have forgotten who they are, whose they are. And so he writes this letter to remind them And he's going to use this analogy of a stone, of a living stone. In the scriptures, we're compared to sheep, right? And he is our shepherd. We're compared to a family. He is the father. Jesus is the son. We are the brothers and sisters, part of the family, right? These are all types of comparisons. He's a king, and we are citizens of his kingdom. 
We're not talking about any of those today. We're talking about rocks. You see, if you thought the greatest insult the Bible could give you that was that you were a dumb sheep, <laughs> you haven't read enough. He also calls you a rock. The only thing dumber than a sheep, a rock. It just sits there. It can do nothing. It's a rock. This is what you are. You're a rock. You are not just any rock. You are, as Peter's going to tell us in his epistle, a living stone. A living stone. And you have been hewn out of the mountain. And what that means is you have been shaped. There has been care and dedication taken to you. You are not just that crazy-looking lump of rock that you were before Christ started on you. And to be hewn in the spiritual sense means there has been a conversion and you have received Christ's salvation through the gift of the cross. Now, when I was back east and I learned the trade of being a stonemason outside of incredibly sore body and lots of cuts and bruises and smashing my fingers with hammers, I learned how to build a stone wall properly. I learned how to make it look good, how to build it without um, pre-manufactured stuff, just Pennsylvania field stone. And every stone, every single stone that went into the walls that we built was touched or chiseled or changed in some way. Very, very rarely did you pick up a stone and it would fit perfectly just as it was. It would need a little bit of attention, some love to fit into the wall and make the wall overall strong and look well. And this is exactly what the author is saying here. You were part of this wall. You are together. You are not separate. You are not alone. You are together. And there are those of you who are Gentiles, there are those of you who are Jews, there are those who are black, those who are white, those who are Asian, Hispanic, those who are wealthy, those who are poor, those who are tall, those who are short. You seeing what I mean? You see, we define ourselves as people by the tribes we come from. I'm from Mexico, I'm from Spain, I'm from Germany, I'm from Russia, I'm from Italy, I'm from America, I'm from Canada, and we describe ourselves as that, and that's wonderful. You, you don't have to lose that. What Christ says and what Paul is reaffirming is that the call of being a child of God supersedes all of those other differences. You don't have to lose who you were. You're not called to come and conform. We're called to unite, staying as an individual stone. That's the other thing. It's one of the reasons that it's tough for me to see stonework here in the Southwest desert after being in Massachusetts because they sell you stone and it's all just made out of cement and all of them look the same. You guys know this? How many people have seen stone from back east and know what I'm talking about? Like real stone walls, yeah, real stone siding. Every stone's unique, every stone's different, and they make up this beautiful wall. Well, this is exactly the kind of wall Paul's talking about. He's not telling them to conform. He's not saying all of you should look the same. All of you should act like the Israelites. All of you should adopt their principles. In fact, it's just the opposite, isn't it? When the religious Jews came into the Christian faith, they tried to get the Gentiles to adopt all their policies. And Paul came and said, stop it. We couldn't keep these rules. Why are we forcing it upon them? That's not the purpose of our Savior, Christ. His purpose is to raise dead souls and bring them to life, not what you're doing. And so the church is this unique organization that Paul says in it, Jew and Gentile can come together and they can belong to one another and they can get along even though they have differences on so many other facets of life. 
And this is what the church is. This is what we're lacking, what we're missing in America, is the ability to be at church, to see people who worship differently, who look different, who act different, who have different ideas of family structure, who have different ideas of how to raise kids, who have different ideas of what, uh, how to sing the songs, and to come together and say, even though we're different, we're coming together under this one cause, because this one cause is greater. And so because it's a greater cause, I will work with these people to overcome our differences that we can have unity in Christ. This is the church. This is what survived for 2,000 years. Not what you currently see in America. I'm sorry. Big square buildings, and we meet for one hour a week, and some of us, the super Christians, I call you, you come during the week. And you meet as well, because you're super. This is not going to survive. This will fade away. I guarantee you. This has got another few decades in it, maybe a hundred years at best. But the church, the body of Christ, the different individuals coming together under one unified vision, that will continue on until Christ's return. That is what changed the world after Christ ascended and the, and the disciples went out and began to spread who Christ was, that is what changed the world. The world had never seen so many people from so many different backgrounds together praising one God and not wanting to kill each other. Do you understand that? The world had never seen it. We, America was such an amazing idea, and it was so and it, we've risen to the power that we are in such a short amount of time, even though we're such a young country relative to the rest of the world, because we adopted the principles of the church. Now, we didn't do it right all the time, obviously. Sinful men have led us, and sinful men still lead, and sinful men still pastor, because we're still men and women. We're mankind. But the point is, we established the country on the basis of Christianity, which is all mankind is equal under one God. And that all of our differences can be set aside in order to worship that God together, in order to love one another and be in fellowship with one another. It's kind of interesting. You don't hear America talked about like that anymore, like how it found, was founded and how it's actually survived. But it survived based on the principles of the church. Now, Paul's going to have the audacity to say that belonging to the church is not like belonging to a club. He's going to separate the two here. He's going to make the church much more, uh, in, you have to be much more invested. It's not like joining uh, Weight Watchers or Anytime Fitness, right, where you now have a membership, and because of your membership, you now have certain rights there. And they have certain obligations to you to provide a nice facility and to provide uh, equipment that works and keep the lights on and a bathroom, right? All these things are things you expect when you pay for what? Membership. Am I right? Is anybody, am I right? Yeah, you expect these things. I'm paying you and I will continue to give you money and you continue to give me services. Paul says this is not the church. He also said it's not like being Japanese or German or African. It's not about what you were physically born into and the region you were born. It goes much, much deeper than that. It has much more meaning than that. We're talking about something eternal, your spirit, 
your soul. It is eternal. It is not temporal. And yet we treat it with less care and less devotion and less thought than we do our own physical bodies. This gentleman, where's his name at? Robert Bella wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. In it, he defines radical individualism that is in America, right? We've known that. I've talked about that. America is a very individualistic culture. It focuses on the individual, not on the family. It says the individual is more important than the collective. Do what feels good to you. Be happy. Be your best self. All of that. Sound familiar? That's America's message. This is what he says. Because of this, he does this poll, and he asked people and found that 81% of all Americans agreed that a person should reach his or her own religious beliefs apart from any church, synagogue, or religious institution. Now, let's just think about this practically. If that is truly 80%, that means 19% said, no, yeah, you should have some sort of teaching, education, understanding. And we'd all like to be in the 19%. But let's be honest, most people today are more in the 80% that says, well, I chose this, or I came to this, or this was my parents' religion, or my parents' religion was this, and I chose to come over here. But think about this. 80% of us say you don't need a church to find spirituality or truth in who you are. If you found out you had a tumor, and the doctor suggested surgery, and you just looked at him and said, no, I'm just going to eat kale. My pastor did a sermon on it a while ago. I think it'll heal the tumor. I'm just going to eat kale. And the doctor says, you can't do that. That won't work. You have to have surgery. We can cut it out. We can save your life. And then you say, how much is it? And the doctor says, well, it's going to be thousands of dollars, but there's insurance and payment. And you just say, you know what? I have sharp steak knives at home. I have Band-Aids and Neosporin. You just show me where the tumor is. I'll take it myself. Right? It's so stupid. You're like, oh my gosh, that's so dumb. You're so dumb, Nathan. <laughs> no, that's exactly what you do with your spirit. That's exactly what we do when we say, I don't need a professional's opinion. I don't need somebody's opinion who has studied it. I don't need to study church history throughout the last 2,000 years. I don't need to look at the world religions. I don't need to go before somebody who has committed their life to it and say, ask them questions and gain knowledge on it. I'll just figure it out. You know, I've never done open heart surgery, but I'll figure it out. You know, I mean, how hard can it be? The heart's generally here, here, yeah, right here. How is it that we treat the body of Christ? How is it we treat our eternal souls with such flippancy? And yet, moles and ingrown hairs and tumors are immediate concerns, and we will only seek a professional's help to take care of them. This is what Paul is leading us to understand. And it's interesting because Peter is going to echo Paul in his epistle here. He says, Peter says this, and based off of what we just read, 19 through 22, right? You are no longer foreigners. You're no longer aliens. You are citizens of God. You are built on the foundation. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets and their teachings. The cornerstone that holds the whole thing together is Jesus Christ. This is what Peter says. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. 
When I read this this week, one thing caught me, as God often does when you read the word, something comes to life because the word is what? Active and living, like a two-edged sword. And I have read this so many times, but I'm reading this this week, and it just catches me. I get choked up. I can't move on. But when it says, you are chosen by God and precious to him. Who's chosen by God there, first of all, in that first part? It's not you yet. Jesus. He is the stone the builders rejected by the stone the builders rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. The relationship between the Father and the Son is so intimate, is so incredible, is what we all long for to have that kind of connection with somebody. And when you hear Peter describe the Son and the Father's relationship, he describes and uses this word that we've translated to precious. He's so precious to him. He's so special. He means everything. And this is the cornerstone. And then he goes on. You also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe as the Father does, that the stone is precious. This is the understanding of the Christian faith, is to see Jesus as the Father sees him. To recognize he is not an escape from hell, he is not a religion you have to do to uh, get heaven when you die, he is not a list of rules you have to be to get in the good graces of the Father, he is precious. He is everything. And what Peter is saying is when you see that, when you see that and you stop taking yourself, the living stone, and putting yourself on the floor by yourself, but you get connected to the church, the body of Christ, become a part of what he is building, you will see and recognize who Christ really is. Your relationship with him will mature, it will grow It will become like nothing else. So, how do we do this? How how, how do you actually change, right? And this has been the struggle for me since the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to come and be out here. Initially, when I came out here seven years ago, it was just hoping we would still be around in a year, right? Things were pretty rough. We didn't know if we would even be around for a year. And then we were, and then we grew exponentially to 1,000 people on a Sunday, and it was just me and two other pastors, and then we couldn't manage everybody, and the attrition fell off, and so we hired more pastors to try to manage the amount of people that were coming in. And so then we said, God, bring us mature believers. We need people to help take the load uh, off of us. And the God did. He brought us so many mature believers, and they began to lead small groups and help us out. And uh, then the Lord showed us to disciple those who are here, right? Whoever is left, disciple them, grow them into strong disciples. And so that's become the focus of our church for the last three years, is really focusing on discipleship, taking people, bringing them to the Lord if they don't know the Lord, and then walking them through what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And now, here we are in 2021, into this new season, which we're seeing the world change, we're seeing what the church has become, and we're saying, how do we not continue in this this path that is leading us into being inconsequential in the world, into being a club, 
a country club, a place for people who think they have life figured out and it's just not for me. How do we not become that? And that has been the question I've asked the Lord for a long time. And this is what I believe the Lord has shown myself and the pastors and elders here. Because whether you're a small church or a big church, we, we, we both fall on the wrong side of the line often here in America. See, if you're a small church, it's really hard to go to a small... Anybody ever been a part of a small church, 40 to 50 people? Right? It's really tough to move to a town and go to that church when they've all known each other, they've all got their own things they do together, they've grown up together, they've been there forever, and now you come in, totally different way of worship, maybe you're coming in from the big city, and this is a church in the Midwest, totally different lifestyle, and you have to try to get connected in this small church. A small church is a lot like a club. They're hard to get into. It's hard for an outsider to come and feel like they're a part of it. But a big church is a lot like a circus. And according to ABC 15, we are a mega church in Santan Valley. I still haven't forgotten that. So that means every Sunday I put on my top hat and I orchestrate this wonderful circus we call LifePoint. You see, at a circus, there are multiple things going on at any one given time. Right now we've got a men's class over there and a women's class over there. We have young kids there, junior high kids there, babies over there. We have all this stuff going on. If you ever been to a circus, there's the trapeze artists and the tiger and the elephants and all of this is happening. And the thing about a circus is you don't get involved. You better not get involved. <laughs> Let me put it that way. If you end up in the lion's mouth, you did something wrong. You're not supposed to be involved. You sit and you watch. You watch the spectacle happen in front of you. Do you hear me? This is a circus. <laughs> You're not supposed to be a part of it. You're there to be entertained by what's happening. This is what the large church has become in America. It's become a place for us to come and be entertained by the word of God. And that is what I want to change. I believe there are so many things we do right here. I believe there are so many things that God has brought to us and that he has opened our eyes and, and, and molded us and changed us and shaped us as leadership and, and brought us people who have helped us in this but I still see too much in our church of the spectacle of a circus on Sunday morning. The average amount of people in a 200-person church who are involved on a weekly basis are dedicated in a 200-person church. It's 4%. That's eight people that aren't part of the staff. So you can imagine in a larger church that that number would keep expanding, right? It doesn't. The number, the larger you get, gets smaller and smaller and smaller. America, in 2018, I believe, gave $30 billion to foreign aid, more than any other country, more than multiple countries combined. You know what $30 billion was as a percentage of our, of our GDP? We didn't even make the top 10 most giving, generous countries, even though we outgave the other countries by billions. We're not even in the top 10. You see, when you become bigger, the idea of still giving a lot starts to become a massive number, right? It's one thing to give a dime out of a dollar and give your 10th to the Lord. It's another thing to give 100,000 out of a million every year and give your tenth to the Lord. 
Well, in a large church, the mindset becomes, so on, on the average Sunday right now, we have three to 400 watching online and we have about 300 adults coming and attending in service and then a few hundred more kids, right? There's a thousand people at LifePoint is the mindset. And so what happens is rather than exponentially growing, it just stagnates out somewhere around 15 to 20 people who we know can rely on and are here and, and can call in a pinch and all of that. Does that look like the active living body of an almighty God? That's what I want to see change. And I have, been, I have been asking and praying, and Lord, how do we do this? How do we achieve this kind of connectedness with people? And, and here's the truth of the matter, is that the two things that Americans love the most, okay, whether you're a Christian or not, the two things we love the most is our freedom, and not just that freedom, I do love that freedom, but our freedom to do what we want, our freedom to act how we want to act, be who we want to be, um, not let anyone else control us. We love that freedom. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me who I am. I will do me, right? And then the other thing that Americans want is we want to be loved. We want to be loved. It is universal, not across the world, but in America, this desire to be loved, to felt to feel cared for, to matter, to be important. Did you know it's actually a, it's this value in Americans? And it's not shared across the world, but in Americans, we want to be recognized, which is why Twitter exists and Snapchat, and why all these young people like sit and take selfies all day long and tell every single opinion and what they eat and post it for the world to see. Why? Because every thumbs up, every like is reassurance that they are good, that they have friends, that they are loved. And that's just this generation, how they, how they show it. It doesn't mean that every generation that is also represented in this room doesn't feel the same way. Here's what's so crazy about those two things that are foremost in the American's mind. They are 100% opposed to each other. You see, I cannot be an individual who does whatever I want and love somebody the way they want to be loved. In order to love somebody, and you know this, if you're here and you're married or you have children, you have to let go of your desires and your wants and your dreams and your sleep and your money and your sanity. You have to just let all of it go in marriage. Right? If you, want, if you really want to experience the kind of love and not a fake thumbs up, but I mean real love, the love that we're seeking, you can't live for yourself. You don't have complete freedom. I don't have complete freedom. I can't just head off up to the mountains and not tell my wife where I'm going and not be there to help the kids and just take off for weeks at a time. I want to sometimes. Trust me. I want to. See, they're opposed to each other. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a mistake that the American sees those two things as being valuable because they are valuable. What we don't understand and this is really where I want to, I'm going to drive this home and we're going to close here. What we don't understand is that you will find that kind of love and that kind of freedom inside a church that is operating as the body of Christ. For two Thursday nights now, we have held our Freedom in Christ ministry classes. There's nearly 30 people at these classes. In these classes, in just two nights, 
people have begun to open up. And my father is one of the leaders in this ministry, and so he was telling me about this yesterday. He said, as he begins to just tell me of the classes and of what's happening and how people share and how one person's testimony causes another person to just finally have breakthrough in something, I said, oh my gosh, that's the church. Like, that's the church. Whatever I go do on Sunday morning, that's a service. But that's the church. The church is people who didn't know each other before two weeks ago Thursday night. People who have come together from multiple different backgrounds who are willing to say, I am going to let myself be vulnerable in front of this group of people. Haven't you been hurt before? Yes, I have. Doesn't letting yourself become vulnerable open, up, open you up to hurt? Yes, it does, 100%. But as C.S. Lewis says, you can protect your heart so much that it will become impenetrable, unbreakable, and hard, dark, and black. But don't worry, you won't get hurt by anybody. You see, the church is when we decide to let down our guard, let down the part of us that doesn't want to get too close, that doesn't want to get too connected, too involved, and say, okay, I'm all in. I'm with these people. What do they need? Where are they going? What are they doing? That's when we become a church. And what happens on Thursday nights amongst 30 people is honestly more of a church than what happens in so many of the other things we do here at LifePoint. Because those people are finding breakthrough, they're being set free from sin and bondage, and they're, being, they're getting connected with other people who call this place home. And so my encouragement to you is over these next few weeks, remain open to some of the things we're talking about as we study the body of Christ, as we study the church throughout history, and as we talk about where we see God leading us, how we see God uh, opening a door for us to be, look more like that. Does that make sense? Do you guys want any of that, by the way? I've just sort of told you that this is happening, but do you want that? Let's pray. Lord, God, how, how do we do this? Your disciples found a way to do it, Lord, and your word says they did it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. By the power of your Spirit, and by them just telling people of how you changed their life. They were committed to one another. They were committed to you. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for everyone in this room and who is watching online who call LifePoint home, who are invested here, that over this next few weeks, this season, God, you would help retrain our minds of what it means to be the body of Christ. That there are things that we grew up with that we're going to have to lay aside. There are ideas of how it should be that we're going to have to re-examine and prayerfully put before you, Lord. Would we do that? And I just, wherever you're sitting now, I ask you to pray those words. I'm not going to speak here for a second. And You pray if God is putting on your heart. If you want to see a revival break out here, if you want to see connectedness, you ask God what he's showing you. Go ahead, and then we'll partake of communion together.
as we seek for direction and clarity. This is my favorite part of our Sunday morning worship services, that we get to partake in something 2,000 years old, that Christ sat with his disciples, and he said, would you do this, and as you do it, would you remember me? Would you remember what these elements mean? What is gonna be done here before you? Come to him, the living stone chosen by God and precious to him, that you also will be like living stones built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Jesus sat with his disciples, he broke bread with them, and he said, this is my body, which gives you access to the Father, and the Father loves me, and the Father loves you. Let's partake of it together. For the Bible says, I lay a stone in Zion. I chose a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him, do not be afraid, for you will never be put to shame. After the bread, Christ took the wine, the cup of wine, and passed it around. And he said, this is my blood. It will be the blood of a new covenant that not just Jew will be under, but all mankind will be under the new covenant. And all you will have to do is look to me. Look to me and call out. Make me Lord of your life. Jesus, we thank you for the body and the blood. We partake of this now as we remember the work of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.